Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Great. Man, I am so pumped. And if you're, if you're new, uh, we are right in the middle of what we're calling Revive the Stones Capital Campaign. What you saw on the screen was a picture of perhaps what the building might look like for, from a 3D rendering from our architect. It's very exciting to think about. And uh, if you're wondering why I have a stopwatch around my neck, it's not because I've gone like digital 90s rap gangster. Uh, it's because uh, we are praying uh, for our, our, for us and each individual. I, I'm, I'm going for 40 hours personally, and so many of you are doing however much God's laid in your heart to pray for, to ask God how much, how we can give the largest gift we've ever given to this capital campaign. And so it's begun with prayer, and that's been really awesome, and I've been so excited about that, and so uh, we want to uh, have everyone join us in praying. And so if you want to know more about that, obviously we're going to talk about it here in uh, this message, but let's talk about it. Now, one of the things that we love to do, and we're still doing this, is our uh, Pastor Plex podcast. We have been ha- having some fun questions come on there, and if you've been listening, we, we, we hit 2,000 downloads after a couple of years. Pretty exciting about, yeah, come on. I get Tens of you are listening and downloaded at least 2,000 times. I'm so grateful for that. And so you can join us there, and we talk about a whole slew of topics from the sermon to culturally relevant things, and would love for you to join us there. Okay, uh, and we'll have that number on the screen for the rest of this morning. Now, we're on this great uh, campaign. We have this great vision that God is going to do something through uh, this body, that he's going to activate our faith to push against the darkness to see God's will of us establish a beachhead of permanency uh, in Brushy Creek uh, so that we could further plant churches, send missionaries, and that we could love God, love people, make disciples, that everybody would have an opportunity, every man, woman, child have an opportunity to hear the gospel from someone associated with us because we are permanent here in the greater Austin area. And so that's really where this drive uh, for permanency goes. But God has, has put this on our heart. And one of the things that comes up anytime you start to do something great, and can I just, if you've ever attempted something great, if you've ever been an entrepreneur, if you've ever uh, wanted to get married, if you've ever wanted to have a baby, you inevitably run against a lot of obstacles, okay? So let, let's just, let's just if, for those of you who've, who've been married, the worst part of your life was when you were engaged. Like, do you remember that? Like, how trying to get family together, and, you know, everyone has opinions about how everything should go, and you're like, you got your mom, and then the mom-in-law, and it's just awkward moment, and everyone's just like, you know, everyone's got issues, right? And so what you're trying to establish is this really great thing, and for some reason, it's the most frustrating thing on the planet. How'd that happen? All right, or, or you're wanting to have a, a baby, and as, as, as the time gets closer, there's more and more things to prepare for, and you feel like it's never going to, one, it's never going to happen because you just, you're just pregnant and you want this thing to, to be out. And at the other time, there's like not enough, there's things that you didn't get done, and all of a sudden you're rushing, and it just becomes a complete battle. And you're like, what we're trying to do is something really great. What we're trying to do is something really great, and yet it seems like we've never been more against each other through this process, whether it's a new career, a new job, something really really great, you know, continue. What is happening? Why do we have such conflict? And I really want to get into that, the one that you're, if you attempt to do something great, you will have conflict. You will have opposition. Did you guys know that? And it's not just because, right? It's not like, so, man, it feels like for the past couple of weeks, we've just been at each other's throats. It's not just because. When anytime you engage in something as great as our 40 days of prayer, you're going to have a battle. 
And so I feel like that's, it's important for us to recognize that, that we, we can respond poorly when attacked. You guys, I know none of us here, we're like superstar Christians. We don't respond poorly ever. But there are those other people who do, right? And this is what happens. We can respond poorly when attacked externally. And here's what I mean by that. When people who are outside the Christian faith, they look at you and they go, <laughs> see, you Christians, no, another building. Isn't that exactly what you guys need? Oh, 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 yeah, you think in your career you can advance. Let me tell you, you and your whole Christian mindset, you and the whole Jesus thing, that's a little bit too exclusive for a currently culturally relevant moment. Don't you understand, if you want to make it anywhere in tech, you've got to say goodbye to Jesus? And I, I think that, that can come in, and that, that's the battle. Of faith. There's an external battle, all right? Or what about this? Uh, how about internally? And this is where, you know, this is where you face it, like, we're going to get married. And then everyone is, it's battle royal. We might as well just get on Fortnite. And we're going to see who's the last one standing. And I think that's what happens when we have this internal sort of battle, internal, like, moment where we're, like, trying to get at the heart of what the issue is. And there's, when the pressure comes from the outside, what ends up happening is we fight each other as opposed to lock arms. Okay? And then finally, and finally, um, personally. We can respond poorly when attacked personally, which you're like, well, of course. I mean, who would, but I think what happens, we forget, again, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual force of darkness in this present age. And so what happens is we start to see things as that person is against me as opposed to the darkness is trying to invade, and it's using that person who may be not being trusted, not, might be a Christian, might not be, but doesn't matter. They're not trusting Jesus, or maybe I'm not trusting Jesus to see the greater vision. All right, so that's, that's what happens. All right, so I wanted us to get into God's Word. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. And I want us this morning, especially as we are praying about, God, how can you show me how I can give the largest amount ever to a capital campaign to extend your vision? You're going to have voices in your head and out loud coming up against you saying, that is crazy. And I want you to know how to respond. But also, this isn't just about a, a corporate capital campaign moment. It's personally. When God's given you great vision, how are you going to respond when the enemy attacks? Because we know he is. Okay, here we go. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to pray and ask God to uh, open up our hearts and speak to us. Father, we're praying that you would speak to us, open up our hearts, help us to understand what exactly it is you would have for us and how we can um, cry out, call out to you, Jesus, and we would watch you work in a unique way. Lord, we're begging, we're pleading, we're saying, Jesus, move this morning uh, that we might hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. All right, here we go. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Samballot, he's the enemy of God, the guy that was like not excited about the Jews getting help from Persia. Now, when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered. I, I don't, you know, jeer. Like, I, I think that's part of it. But uh, he's actively talking bad about. He's jeering. He's sneering. He is trying to, you know, raise up an, uh, an opposition to the people of God. Now, this is what I want you to see. Is this a God-sized vision that Nehemiah is to accomplish? Yes. Yes, it is. Did God know that there would be opposition? Yes, he did. 
Did he still allow it? Did he still have to have Nehemiah go through all that? Yes, he did. And so I feel like sometimes we go, why is this happening to me? Because God is wanting you to learn how to trust him. All right, watch this, watch this. He jeered at the Jews. Okay, same uh, phraseology from chapter 2. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria. So this isn't just like he's just talking with the fam over dinner and they're just like that, Nehemiah. It's like he's trying to get a rise out of the army to go and destroy them. And he goes, (laughs) what are these feeble Jews doing? Derisive term. I mean, he's, he's not using, like, culturally appropriate uh, language to be uh, inclusive in his language and hope. He's, he's being very angry, and he's calling them names. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves, meaning the city of Jerusalem? Will they sacrifice? These people don't know how to sacrifice. They're lazy. Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Or will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish. And I just prefer the term rubble because it makes it more mm, palpable. Well, they revive the stones out of the heap of rubble and burn ones at that. And and if you didn't know, this is where we get our key verse for our entire series. Because the enemy doesn't want this to happen. The enemy is against God's kingdom advancing, taking more land, taking more space, putting permanency. Uh, This is the beauty of what God is doing for our church. He's saying, I am doing something with that people and the enemy to whatever, watch this, to whatever the magnitude of the eternal opportunity you have, that is going to be sort of equal opposite reaction from the enemy to sort of stop it, put opposition to God's vision. And you're seeing it right here. Here, Before, was anyone that angry at the Jews? No. In fact, we're going to find out Sam Ballot's related to him. Like, his daughter married the high priest's son. Awkward moment for everybody. Yeah, so it wasn't until a polarizing moment that then the split happens, and so he's fired up, and he wants them to go down and go down in a bad way. Now watch. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yeah! What are they building? <laughs> If a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. And so there, there's taunting, jeering. Verse 4, Nehemiah hears about it. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, is what Nehemiah says. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Now that is just Christian, isn't it? Like how many times have you prayed that one? In fact, he, he's going to go on. Like, when you read this, you're kind of like, I don't really know if I like Nehemiah. He's not exactly, um, that's toxic masculinity right there if I ever saw it, okay? Like, I mean, that, that's what we're looking at, right? Like, this is, I mean, Nehemiah, I don't know if I can handle you right now. In fact, he's going to go further. Watch this. This is going to be not inclusive, okay? He's going to say, do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. Give them no forgiveness, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And so we have a problem. This is a, uh, a textual problem. Jesus also said, bless your enemies and do not curse them. Now what? 
All right, so here, let me help and rectify this because this is called an imprecatory prayer. There are several imprecatory psalms, which are way worse than this. It talks about like smashing heads against walls. All right? It's like really intense and really crazy. But watch, in Genesis 12, there was um, the Abrahamic blessing slash cursing. And God said, whoever blesses you in your line will be blessed. Whoever curses you in your line will be cursed. And so here is Nehemiah in that dispensation saying, do what you, you said in your word you would do. Blot them out. Take care of them. Do the thing that you do. Destroy them. Now, we are not in that dispensation. <laughs> All right? Remember, Jesus, when he goes to the cross, he takes on the sin of the world, of Jews, non-Jews. And then you become a child of Abraham through the power of the gospel, and then you become born again into the family of God where Jesus gets the curse and you get the blessing. That's how that works. So anytime you read an imprecatory psalm or an imprecatory prayer, imprecatory just means like cursing, a cursing prayer or cursing psalm, that is how you are to read it. It's that Jesus took the curse, and now we're supposed to receive the blessing, and so since we receive the blessing, we give the blessing even to those who are our enemies. Amen? Okay, that's how that works. Because I think what happens um, with Christians, we start calling down imprecatory uh, prayers and statements on social media. And we start a battle royal about all sorts of things and saying, bless you. I don't see very much like, you're a bleep, bleep, idiot. You know, like, that's usually what comes off of our fingertips and not like, and we say, it's essentially we're saying this, go to hell. All right. Now, We'll keep moving from that point, right? So, so watch this. He, he prays to God. The thing I want you to see from that, though, the one thing you can't apply is his first place to go is prayer. Do you see that? Our first place to go, and this is why I told you, like, I've had my, some of my marriage conversations are, how long have you prayed about that? Well, I would, but you don't, she and he, and, and I'm like, okay, so until you pray about it, me talking to them about it is not going to do as much good as God talking to them about it. And I think that's our problem. We trust somebody, we trust the pastor more than we trust Jesus. We trust the marriage counselor more than we trust Jesus. And that, isn't that what happens? And so I always wonder what happens if we say, like, God, I'm going to come to you, and I've been wronged, and I'm going to bless them in the heavenly, and then you're going to turn that around. That's how you have God-sized vision. You fulfill it in the power of Jesus. Okay. So we built the wall. No, look at this. He builds, like, they pray, and they get back to work. They build the wall, and the wall was joined together to Half its height, meaning they're getting this thing done. It's about half done. Now, for the people had a mind to work. So he prays, God, destroy them all. But then God answers it by giving his people a mind to work. And I love how God works. Like, you, you want your prayer to end up, you know, with the company you're working for when you leave them to be completely turned into rubble but the Lord gives you a mind to work to be successful somewhere else, right? Or, or the, the reality is that God want you, what we want sometimes isn't what God wants, and he's able to take the heart of our prayer and transform it. That's why we want to bless those who curse us, because he already took care of our curse, and we can walk in the blessing. Okay, so now watch. And we prayed to our God. I mean, you see this thing of like, they, I don't know if they all had stopwatches around their, their neck, especially digital ones, but they were praying to God all the time. And then they were doing some practical things, such as setting a guard as a protection against them day and night. 
So watch. Nehemiah responded in faith to enemy opposition. His response to people trying and wanting to kill him was prayer. Because they set up ambushes. And then when they found out, they just they spaced people out. They put them so they looked, you know, this is called, um, uh, it's, a, 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 it's, a, it's a show of force. When, when we were in Korea, we'd do this all the time. So Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un, whoever was in, in charge at whatever time, uh, I would, we would take our tanks, we'd go up to the DMZ, we'd be like, hey, and we'd just drive our tanks around, and then we'd, you know, and we'd do pretend battles and blow things up in that vicinity just to remind them that we were there. And then they deterred it. That was called a show of force. And so what Nehemiah is doing, he says, we are not afraid. We're not going to come over there and attack you because we have work to do. But what God, we are trusting our God that he has us. Th- this past uh, week, uh, I was on the phone with uh, somebody I actually just met. And uh, he is from uh, the Sudan. And uh, he, his, his, his stepfather and mother were shot to death for being followers of Jesus. And uh, as a young man, he went to uh, Saudi Arabia for a job, and he was a follower of Jesus. And if you didn't know Sudan, they're not really keen on Christians. Saudi Arabia, equally not so excited about Jesus. And so when he shows up, uh, and his story is like he shows up, they take his Bible, they take his little book of prayer, and they say, you can't have these here because there are no Christians here. Um, There are no churches, so don't even think about it. Uh, to which he's like, that's weird. I uh, thought that this is an all-nations thing. Turns out there were Christians there in an underground church. He'd never been to an underground church. His name was um, Michael is his name, Bishop Michael now. Um, and he joined an underground church with Sri Lankans, Americans, Australians, Asians, Indians, the whole gamut. And they would gather, and there was no, like, formal church leadership. And his story is just so intense. You're, just li- you're, go- you're reading it, listening it, and you're going, what? And he, and he, and he says... Um, that they grew to about 200, and they kind of made him the pastor, to which he's like, thanks. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's, it usually underground churches don't get messed with until they get too big or until they start to make a print on the land. They got up to about 200, and then the police showed up, and they take him away. And in his story, he's saying, listen, listen, I was put in a six-by-three cell in solitary confinement, and they had no lights, and there was no air conditioning. It's Saudi Arabia. So if you've never been to the Middle East, just think hot. Like, Texas, summer hot all the time. And so there he is uh, in the prison cell, and they, they beat him for a while, and after a while they saw that that wasn't getting to renounce his faith uh, and to you know, shut down the church, and he wouldn't give up on the mission. They just said, we're going to cook you in this cell until you repent of your beliefs and he just was like all right i'm ready to die for this and then what was crazy one one night as he was feeling his life ebb away he felt like what was like air conditioning or something coming from an unair conditioned room and just cool air coming from the ceiling as the holy spirit was breathing on him giving him life and then what odd enough like an american uh robert jordan who was the ambassador there uh heard about a story through the underground church that no that didn't exist and uh he made a call over to the crown prince of Saudi Arabia and, and he got a Sudanese man who was living in uh, Saudi Arabia, not sent back to Sudan because he'd be killed there for being a Christian, but sent to the U.S. to get seminary training. And now he's living in Dallas and he's ministering to all immigrants, large and small, from all places around the globe, uh, 
speaking the gospel clearly, communicating it to all people so that he can minister in a way that's fairly powerful because God had a vision for his life that wouldn't be thwarted by the enemy opposition, but his prayer and response had to be in faith because there's always time to abandon it. You, always, you can always abandon God's vision. That's always an option. I'm out. But when God has placed something in your soul to, to keep pushing against the darkness, and I think that you know, not many of us are in the position where we could die for our faith, but we're in a position where we can give up a lot of the vision because it's convenient, and I don't want to lose out on what could be more life for me. So there's external opposition. Let's talk about internal opposition when the external pressures become great. In fact, watch this, verse 10. Remember, they just thwarted the enemy. They, they held off uh, an attack. And now uh, Nehemiah is about to, like, he's like, okay, we're good. Let's keep building the wall. Let's go. In Judah, okay, Judah, they're the Jews because they're from Judah, so that's that whole area. It was said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. Now, hold on. They built half the wall. And all of a sudden now they're going to talk about failure? What is going on? There's just too much rubble, which is why I like the, the word here. It's the rubble that's in the way. The rubble. And what's the rubble from? The rubble is from the first time the Babylonians came and destroyed the city. We're talking 150, 60 years ago. And that rubble built up and built up. And so for them to take a shovel and get that rubble out, that's a lot of rubble, a lot of work. And it's too much, even when you're half done. A lot of glass half-empty people are kind of looking at us going, that ain't going to happen. And they say this statement that is, I feel like where we go a lot, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Now watch this. I, what, when you read that, you're like, well, failure. When I read that, exactly. Be, let's go to this. Remember, we take 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and we change it from God will not, give you, will not tempt you beyond what you can bear, but will provide a way of escape so you may endure it. We translate that as God will not give you more than you can handle. That's not what it says. Because clearly, they understood this was more than they could handle. Paul, when he's shipwrecked, he's like, we just, uh, this is 2 Corinthians 1. We despaired of life. We were going to die. It was all over. It was too much for me to handle. Here it is. Too much. When it's too much, this is what happens. God has to show up. But what happens when the external pressures become too much, then internally we start to fight each other. Let's think, what happened the past year that made Christians start fighting each other? You get polarized. Because the enemy's saying, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Remember, if the enemy can't stop us from just sheer brute force, you guys better stop your work. They're going to try and like, get some propaganda on the inside to make the Jews fight each other, to make Christians, people of God, fight each other. Watch this. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them, these were not the Jews who were working. So the Jews that weren't working, who were safe in their homes, that were not on the wall, who weren't praying, who weren't at risk, and were all of a sudden they became part of the enemy opposition. And they said to us ten times, you must return to us. Come back. Come back. And I love that it says ten times. Now, I don't know if ten times was the exact number, if that's a 
over-exaggeration or under-exaggeration. All I know is what that problem is like, hey, guys, that, that work is really hard. Look, it's, look at all the rubble. That's really hard. Why don't you guys just come back to your land? Listen, I know Nehemiah, we don't even, where is, he has a weird accent. Like, have you heard that guy talk? I mean, his, his Hebrew is weak at best. I mean, like, I mean, Nehemiah, I mean, he, he still has got, like, Persian. I mean, he's not really one of us. Why are you, why are you, like, listening to that guy? He doesn't know what it's like to kind of live out here. Nehemiah is a problem. Come back out here. He's putting you in danger. He's putting you at risk. This is crazy talk. Come on. Ten times. Over and over and over. Have you ever had somebody do that? Like, just kind of tear you just over and over and over and over. Why are you still, why are you still with those why are you still with your spouse? Oh, my gosh. You should leave. I mean, don't you know that it's way safer to just do life on your own? Don't, listen, when you kind of, the risk of being with those Christians, just crazy. So in the lowest parts of the space, and I love this, is this is where Nehemiah gets, he's just a practical leader. So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall, an open place, they station the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Meaning, so the people who lived near but weren't in the work could see that, oh, they actually have some strength. So they wouldn't stop, so they'd stop sending the messages. Come back to us. You guys are gonna, all going to die. Sometimes a show of force is for your own people. That we're, We got this. Because what happens is when you feel like you're all alone, you feel like, well, nobody else... In fact, for this capital campaign, what's so great is that even if you gave everything you own, you probably couldn't pay for our building. Just you couldn't. But what the reality is, if we all come together, and you know that there's others alongside, that we're all doing this together with large amounts, small amounts, whatever God has told you to give, the largest gift you've ever given, ever, that we could do this together, not because we had Nehemiah had all the money for it, because even Nehemiah could do that. And then watch. So he stationed, they got their clans with their, um, with all their weapons and their swords, their spears and their bows. And then I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. And this is going to be thematic. Because what happens when we start looking at the enemy, when we start looking at all the problems, we start to fear. What's the antidote to fear? Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. And so the antidote to fear is faith in the Lord. And then when our enemy, watch this, verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us that, and that God had frustrated their plan, they had planned ambush, they planned to attack, they planned to, to use you know, our own fear against us, and that it didn't work, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. And what they would do is they would have, uh, and this is why if you're wondering where we get this emblem, they'd have a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other. And they would just go to work. Like, we're not going to let anyone intimidate us. God has a work for us to do. And you know what our sword is today? It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we have a mind to work. And we're going to put our hand to the shovel, our hand to our scripture, and we're going to say, God, would you do something in us? In fact, Nehemiah responded in faith to family opposition. Now, here's what's so crazy about this. Nehemiah didn't come a thousand miles to put out family squabbles. He didn't come a thousand miles from Susa to Jerusalem to be like, all right, guys, listen, we got to figure out some of this dysfunction, all your fear, like you at one point trusted in God, but now he was there to build a wall. He was there to materially build something, but anytime you take leadership of something, you got to bear the spiritual weight of it. Anytime you're building the spiritual weight of it, that means you got to take care of the people. And that's hard because then it moves from, watch this, it moves from like everyone sort of fighting each other 
than people taking advantage of each other. Remember, we're at war. There's a spiritual battle going on. It's not just because that you're, you and your wife or you and your spouse or you and your job or you and your significant other have been battling it out recently. When there is a spiritual battle going on, intensity of prayer, things happen. Now, what happened for, for the Jews is that they, um, they had been taxed by the king of Persia for years. And then, you know, when that tax bears a burden, then you start building a wall. What ends up happening is that you can't figure out how you're going to pay bills. And then what would happen is that um, they go to their, you know, Uncle Bob, who, you know, he usually is good for some money. And then Uncle Bob was like, listen, I've loaned you enough, and uh, I'll, let, I'll loan you this time. But this time we're going to act on, put on some interest on that. Because, I, listen, while I'm putting my money to work, it might as well work for me. And so what would happen is that they default on the loan, and then Uncle Bob said, listen, it's okay. You just come live here, and I'll take care of you, but you're going to be my slave. And that's how they, even in hard times, you can still become way wealthier if you just take advantage of those who have less. So payday loan, like loan sharks started coming out of the woodworks, working on the wall alongside, hey, you need a loan? I got you. In fact, Nehemiah hears about this. And, it, you know, I'm, as a leader, you're just like, what? Really? And Nehemiah's like, the thing you're doing is not good. Are you not to walk in the fear of our God? Remember, what were they walking? The fear of, we're going to run out of money. The fear of, we're going to be taken advantage of. The fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. So, listen, I will loan you money and grain and all that for no interest. So let us abandon this exacting of interest. We don't, that's not what family does. And then he goes on and he starts talking about all the things he's going to do. And he says, I also perse- persevered in the work on this wall. It wasn't something he told other people to do. He grabbed a shovel. And we acquired no land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, they were at my table. Watch this. 150 men, Jews and officials. And that doesn't mean he had a really long, like, wooden table that fit 150 people. That was like he provided for 150 families. And then this was, this to me was like, spoke to my heart. 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. With, deep within scripture is embedded this, this principle of love God, that's Deuteronomy 6, love people, Leviticus 19. You were to take care of the migrant, you were to take care of the foreigner. Why? So that, remember, the whole purpose of the Jews, they'd be a royal, Israel's would be a royal priesthood, that they would come to seek the light of God. And here they came from the nations to hear about the God who is. And so the ministry, that ministry never stopped, even in the midst of a crazy capital campaign. Did you know we're still, right now, if you can go on Slack, there's about like five meal trains you can jump on to help people that are in need. And I think what happens is we can forget that because we have a great work. And there are people that are in need for God to move, and we are the answer to their prayer, and sometimes we don't help. Why? Because we're afraid we won't have enough. So watch this. I want you to see that the enemy attempted to stop the building of the wall by external means. Just get the, the Jews to be afraid, and Nehemiah couldn't do anything about it. Nehemiah overcomes that by going to God in prayer. Then the enemy's like, let's get the, let's get the Jews to fight each other. Put enough 
external pressure, then internally they'll crack. And Nehemiah's response to that was faith, prayer. Let's go to God. Let's remember God. Let's not be afraid of what we can see. Let's be, the, let's be more fear of the God who we cannot see and serve and worship Him. That's who we think about. That's who we focus on. But what happens ultimately is that sometimes when the enemy can't stop the, the bulk of the people, when the enemy can't stop uh, them from getting along and, and, and aligning, then what, they, what the enemy wants to do is go for the leader. And watch what happens with Nehemiah. Samballat and Geshem. So Samballat is the uh, Sam, uh, Sumerian and Geshem is the Arab. And they call out Nehemiah to the plain of Ono. And that's like where you do peace talks. Now, it's only about 25 miles, so you get in your car and drive there a day from Jerusalem about 15 minutes. But back then, that would take a full day's walk and journey. It wasn't exactly, you know, a nice road. And you get to the plain of Ono, and then it, it's a peace talk, but it's also a place of war. And so here it is. And what, what Nehemiah, he, he's no idiot. And he's, into, remember, he's been praying this whole time. Did you know that I feel like in this 40 days of prayer, like it's not just like God telling me a number to give, but God's been revealing a whole sorts of stuff to my family in this time of just spiritual open, because my heart's been so focused on God and like hearing from him and, and not listening to talk radio or social media, but hearing from the Lord. It's a lot way more peaceful, who knew? And so what happens is, is Nehemiah recognized, and he sent messengers uh, to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I will not be distracted by a peace talk, by whatever you're plotting. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And then they start sending more letters. And he keeps responding the same way, and then eventually they send an open letter. An open letter, you know what an open letter is now. It's like an, a letter you post on the internet so everybody can read it. An open letter back then it was not sealing it so that the messenger would be just way too nosy not to read it, and he'd read it and he'd pass it on to other people. Because, I mean, you're like, oh, wow. Whoa! And what the letter said is, you are committing treason by building that wall. You want to set up your own kingdom. To which Nehemiah responds and saying, no such thing as you say have been done. For you're inventing them out of your own mind. For they are wanting to frighten us. Take our eyes off of God, put it on them, and be afraid. Thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. And he goes back to prayer. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. I need you to keep my faith focused on you. Strengthen my hands. And then that very second, he gets another, like, temptation. <laughs> it's just, the, the hits just keep on coming for Nehemiah. Now, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, and this guy apparently was a, a prophet, and he was confined to his home. So you're thinking, oh, this guy is definitely hearing from God. No one's visiting him from the outside. And he goes, hey, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Which, if you know anything about uh, Levitical laws and the temple laws, Nehemiah, not a Levite, not a priest, was not allowed inside the temple. That's where the holy people go to do the holy things. And when you trust God for them to take their part and do the holy things, you are acting in faith. And so he's, he's essentially saying, hey, come into the temple to be safe. And granted, it's a sin, but God will understand. You and God have a deal. He goes, let us close the door of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. All right? They're coming to kill you by night. You'll never know when it's going to happen. So we just need to go sit in there day and night, because we don't know when it's going to happen. And then verse 11, 
And Nehemiah responds, but I said, should such a man as I run away? Listen, I ain't like, I'm not like a man doesn't have faith in God. I'm not going to look at them. I'm going to look at my God. And what man should I should go into the temple and live? I will not go in. I understood and I saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Now, I don't know if this was like a spiritual supernatural revelation that he got or if someone said, nah, Sambalat and Tobiah hired him or what it was. But what I do know is that he's like, there were more than just this guy because also the prophet, uh, uh, for this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way uh, and in this way sin. And so they could give me uh, a bad name. Fear, sin, just for free. Fear always leads to sin. Do you guys know that? And so they could give me a bad name or to Tommy. Remember Tobiah and Sambal. Oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also remember the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets. So this was like an ongoing thing. It wasn't just uh, Shemaiah there uh, hanging out in, in the home by himself, but it was a bunch of people coming to him to make him afraid. But watch this. The wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid. You notice this fear thing flipped? The fear flipped. Why did it flip? They fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. All of a sudden, they realized they weren't just fighting Nehemiah. They were fighting against God. So if this is a God-sized vision that God is really doing, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. No, no, no. If God has a vision in your own life, and then you self-sabotage it, isn't that what happens? Like God has a vision for your life, you clear vision for your family, clear vision for your marriage, clear vision for your children, and all of a sudden, out of fear, you self-sabotage because you are afraid, and you start looking at the environment, the circumstances, that we can't do it. We, we don't want to do that. That's going to be too risky. And you take your eyes off the king, and you put your eyes on the problem, and then the personal defeat. And what, what I love about this is Nehemiah responded in faith to personal opposition. Um, I'm actually going to ask my wife to come up uh, and talk, because this is going to be fun. Adrian, come on up. Uh, we've been, uh, we've been, I was wondering how I was going to share about personal opposition, and so I thought I'd bring up my wife. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. All right. That was just too fun. All right. So uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but 2020 was a hard year. Did you guys know that? Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Um, and so as a pastor, it was kind of hard. And I feel like um, John Sharp sent me this meme, and I thought I'd share it with you. This is what 2020 was like, right? Yeah, this is, this is the, you know, you, you've got... You've got the whole world, no decision that you made in the past. It's even better that you bring up O.J. Simpson, right? I mean, that just makes, anytime you bring up O.J. Simpson, it's a win. But what happened over the past year, it felt like, John sent this to me. He's like, I think this is what you're going through. And I was like, yeah, that is, that's kind of it. No matter what decision I made, I made somebody angry and polarized. And they're like, you just don't believe in Jesus anymore, clearly. And I'm like, what? And so, Adrian, I wanted to bring you in, because it's, it's one thing for me to talk about that, but uh, it's another thing to hear from Adrian. Um, uh, so, Adrian, let's talk about how 2020 affected you and the opposition that came our way uh, that we may have missed God's best. And to sort of preface, 
you guys know that we're real in the middle of a capital campaign. We're about to go uh, build a church on a facility on a land that we own. So this is like an origin story. So we're like doing like a, a Logan before he was Wolverine, okay? All right, so this is what that is. So you already know how it ends, so I'm going to take you to the origin story. So Adrian, take us to the origin story. Talk about 2020 and how that affected you and how we had some, sometimes we didn't always agree on things. Yep. <laughs> so, tw- so you guys have heard this story, especially if you've come to the vision meals. Uh, but the church, the children's ministry side had just been demolished. But the day we found out that it would be demolished was the day I found out I was pregnant with Paxton, our fourth one. And we had decided to have to try for him because the church looked like it would be probably not dramatic for the next <laughs> couple of years. And so already, like, that was that kind of pulled the rug out from under. And I assumed that, well, God knows, so he'll make this will be an easy baby and an easy pregnancy. And I was, like, crippled at the end of the pregnancy. I, like, couldn't walk. And and then for two years, Paxton didn't sleep. So we were, like, four hours, like, a broken four hours of sleep every night for, like, two two years. And that's how we went into 2020. (laughs) And so we were, like, started 2020 emotionally drained spiritually drained physically that's what you're beyond drained right like we were really not doing well and there was nothing left and then COVID hit and the playgrounds were wrapped in caution tape and the schools were closed down and Lake Pflugerville like the like a body of water was shut down like (laughs) there was nothing to do I had we had four kids now still one still not sleeping but in our house all the time but now Chris was working from home in that same house. And I was just like, it was, it was hard. And I got so depressed, which pulled me away from my friends for like a day. And I'm kind of struggling. And so this was just like, I was like, it was so isolating. And my friends were all more responsible than I was. So they didn't really want to share our germs yet. yet. And so it was tough. And we, um, I had also decided at this time, this would be a great opportunity to like quit my discipleship group because how do you do discipleship when you're doing all this? So I, I pulled out of that. I was not really engaged at the time in a community group. So I was struggling, and my best friend from childhood had just moved to Tyler, and she'd built a custom house in Tyler, and so I left the kids with Chris for a night, and I drove up there on a Friday, and I spent all Friday and Saturday with her, and when I get there, she takes me next door. She has a big plot of land next door, and it's a lakefront property where we could buy land and build a custom house for the same price that we could sell our house in Austin. And guess what? Tyler wasn't shut down. They didn't have masks. They were going to school. Their playgrounds were open. And I was like, why would we not do this? Like, like why would, how could this not be God's will for us? Like, in this place of isolation and discouragement, I was just, I came home and I was like, Chris, like, this is crazy for us not, like, we have, we, we need to kind of forget everything in our life except our current reality, and, like, I, I was totally lured, I think Satan totally lured me with comfort, this idea of comfort and, like, freedom from everything about my current reality that was not ideal. And then I get a phone call from a, a, a guy who graduated from West Point 10 years before me, and we'd, he'd mentored me a lot in Dallas. And he was uh, an executive pastor out in Tyler. And I go, oh, that's weird. Uh, this guy from Tyler is calling me. And, uh, and then I find out Adrian had messaged his wife. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Chris, I hear you wanting to move out to Tyler. And I'm like, 
well, I don't, I don't really know if that's where God's calling me. Um, uh, and I did a class at one of these. I'll pray about it, you know. Uh, very spiritual answer to a clear thing. But I did. I actually did. I actually went, I went on a prayer walk. And I said, God, would you, would you reveal to me? I feel like this is an attack. I feel like this is crazy. Like, here we are. You know, I, I remember being in the Army and in battle and in combat thinking, I don't want anyone else uh, to be here, but I definitely, or I don't, I don't necessarily want to be here, but I don't want anyone else in my spot. And I was like, how could I, in the midst of COVID, leave? And I went and asked God, I was like, God, is, 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 it, you know, is my leadership the problem? You know, especially going back to moments like, like this, am I the issue here? Um, and it, God just revealed to me, just in that, that one prayer walk, I have a lot of work for you to do. Lead your family, and you just do what you normally do every day, and I'll take care of the big vision. And that was so powerful for me, just to lean into God and say, God, what do you have for me? And then him, remember, this is this whole thing about prayer. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God who gives generously all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So I leaned in, I said, God, give me wisdom. He said, I have not released you from there. You are staying right where you're at, and you just keep doing ministry as you've been doing. Let me take care of the big picture. And that, for me, was just powerful. So I, I shared that with Adrian. Right. And I actually, when he got this phone call, so I didn't tell them to call Chris, nor did I tell them. But I, I clearly communicated enough that, that, right, that this phone call happened. And I was upstairs putting kids to bed and when Chris got the call. And so I over – Chris isn't very quiet on the phone, so – I overheard everything, and I thought, oh, no. Like, I was kind of excited. I was like, oh, good. God's intervening on my behalf, finally. Like, this about time. Like, that was my first thought. But then I thought, oh, no. What if, what if maybe this isn't the best link for us? Like, what if this isn't God's best? And I have just, like, through networking, through personal connections, what if I could thwart the God's best for our lives? And during the whole time Chris was on the phone, I was like, okay, one thing I know for sure is that living in a less desirable circumstance that is in line with God's will is absolutely a better place to be than living in a more comfortable circumstance outside of his will. And I, and I knew that, and I felt that, and so then I was kind of scared now, and I was legitimately praying for God to lead Chris, so when he came at me with, I feel called. I was a little disappointed, but I was mostly relieved. I was like, okay, I'm just going to trust. I can't see how in the world this is the right thing right now, but I'm going to trust that it is. And I decided then to double down, and I uncanceled my discipleship group. So <laughs> I decided that, you know, it's already a train wreck in this house. Why not get on Zoom for an hour every week? <laughs> Let's just add that in. And so I, I went back to discipleship, and I said, hey, guys, never mind. I won't quit. Let's, let's do another round. And so then I also buckled into virtual community group, felt very virtual. And I was irritated by that, but I was like, you know, if God God is working in this, then he can use virtual community group. And he did. I think that there was a, I, I doubled down there as well and committed to it even when it never logistically really made sense. And God blessed me and changed my heart. Like he, he changed my heart. There was nothing that I did. There was nothing that I figured out. My circumstance took a lot 
longer to get better. And in the midst of that really kind of miserable year, um, he changed my heart to the point then that when this children's director position opened up, I actually wanted to make the church my hobby. <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I love this church so much, and I, I had felt so blessed by the community that I had been engaging in recently that I thought, man, this is it. Like, I want to even, uh, like, up the ante in my commitment and my dedication here. And that came from a, a huge 180 over the last year and a half. Yeah, and I, and I think that's where I feel like we're going to get – thank you, Adrian, by the way. I appreciate you sharing all that. Uh, yeah, everyone give it up for I think what happens with us is that we go to a place where we see the opposition, and the enemy is trying every way he can. Let's personalize it. Satan is trying every way he can to break down God's people so they don't unite to push back and put dents into the darkness. The enemy wants us to just quit building the kingdom of God. The enemy wants us to battle each other, polarize one another. The enemy wants us to take it personal, get depressed, shut down, isolate. Because did you know that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour? You know who he always devours? The one-offs. Those who aren't a part of the herd. And so what I want us to do, listen, listen, I want us to respond in faith. So the question that I'm going to leave you guys with this morning is how will you respond to opposition? And if you're not a Christian, everything I'm saying is crazy talk. So this morning, how will you respond to opposition? If you're not a Christian, I need you to recognize that you're on the wrong side of God. That God has a plan. He created us. Sin has marred us. And sin has deceived us. And the truth is not in us. But God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sin because he sent Jesus to take on the curse. To take on death and hell. And he rose from that's what we base all this on. Not on a good vibe, but on a person. Not on like uh, an emotional high, but on a resurrection. This is about kingdom advancing, darkness being pushed back, and us seeing it fulfilled. So if you're not a Christian, man, come on. Let's go. You just simply pray something like this. God, I'm a sinner. Sin against you, my thoughts, words, actions. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Make me the person you want me to be. That's it. And from there, Jesus starts to work in you from the inside out. Now, if you are a Christian, I know if you've been doing any of this prayer stuff, you've been facing opposition. Whether it's external, work, non-Christians, people that um, secular world things, whether it's internal where you and your, your spouse have gotten more friction than you've ever seen ever, or whether you just feel sad and depressed and low, and you're wondering, how is anyone going to pull me out of this? And I remind you that it's not pull yourself up. It's Jesus. If you stop all the trying, just lean into him, say, I can't. I can't build the wall. I can't give. I can't do it, but I know that, Jesus, you can. And I know that if I lean into you, you're going to give me more than I can handle. But you're also going to provide a way of escape whenever temptation comes for me to run to other things. 
And so my hope and my desire for you is that you would respond in faith in this capital campaign season in the vision that God has for your own life, trusting Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, um, I just love you. And I know that you've got something really spectacular planned for our church. And I know that as we're looking at giving more than we've ever given before to anything, God, that, that challenge is on our hearts not to, not to make our, puff ourselves up, but to fulfill the vision you have for us to do something that we could not do apart from you. And you are going to activate your will through us. So God, I'm praying that somebody, first of all, who doesn't know you, repents and turns from sin and says, Jesus, I trust you. And I'm praying, Lord, that for those of us that got stuck and we've, we've been disenchanted by church because of the enemy's plan to stop the advance of the kingdom. God, because we started looking at each other as the problem as opposed to the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms that are using and abusing church people. <clears throat> and God, they got personal. And so, God, I'm praying that you would do something really special in our personal lives to see the joy of you, Jesus, in our prayer lives as we get that peace that surpasses all understanding, as we would see people as the way you see them, as ones who need to be loved by the King and show them mercy as we've been shown mercy, and then ultimately push back against the darkness, not with a sword, but with the Spirit. And we would watch you work, Jesus, because you've got all the whole world in your hands. You've got judgment in your hands. You've got the end times in your hands. And that's why we sing the song. Because our hope is not in our ability, but in yours. We love you, Jesus. It's all for your glory, we pray. Yeah, I love that. You listen, there's a sense that I don't want to, you know, when the Holy Spirit's sort of moving and kind of doing his thing, you don't want to, like, wreck that. Uh, so I'm going to ask the um, prayer team to stay up and just kind of hang. And if you're like, if there's someone with your marriage something with your singleness, your struggle, the, the fear, you're taking your eyes off of Jesus, I want you to go forward and pray with these guys. But imagine what would happen. No, I just want just come with me. Imagine what would happen whenever a God-sized vision was presented to you. And the enemy started to use external things to get you to stop. You said, no. I'm going to go to my God my King. My eyes are on Him. What, what if whenever... Uh, the enemy got you to look at your spouse or look at your brother or sister in Christ and go like, you're the problem. And all of a sudden, something transformed you. You go, oh, maybe it's me. Or maybe God has something bigger. There's a spiritual force of darkness behind all this that is wanting us to not align and push back. Imagine what would happen instead of taking it all personally and letting the depression and the darkness sort of seep into your soul. If you said, Jesus, I need you you. It would transform you, your family, this church, and that city. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people. Focus on our God and King and never let the enemy in. Go and be a people who love one another so that the world may know that Jesus was sent from heaven to earth. Go and push back the darkness of the things in your heart and have an awesome week of worship. You are